a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. We are out from under the shadow of the week. Under the shadow, uh, we're out, out from under out. the shadow of the moon. In fact, and, and also the moon. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The, the lunar eclipse. Indeed. Near total lunar eclipse, which is such a such a uh, kind of bait and switch. Yeah. Oh, it's ninety seven. Nothing. All it's it is almost is red and pink. And if you live in L.A., it was just overcast. Mm. Just nothing. Nothing. Just a bunch of nothing. But the yeah. the moon that the moon is it's nice to evoke the moon uh, because today we are going to be talking about two extremes. Going to be talking about space, yep. where the moon is. And uh, then we're going to be talking about the depths of the ocean, specifically a region in the Pacific Ocean, just about 1,100 miles off the coast of Mexico. Uh, and uh, you, you, there's there's some interesting stuff happening um, in both uh, extreme places, wouldn't you say? I would say that is exactly the case. They're sort of out of sight, out of mind, in that we don't live in either one. Yep. But there's a lot of commercial interest, a lot of governmental interest oh, in yeah. these places. And potentially um, the the strange irony that our future may depend on what's happening there, what we're doing there. You know, we may end up in space yep. or we may not. Yeah. And what's going on in the bottom of the ocean uh, may help with climate change. Yep. Yeah, it may not. But along the way, we have to sort of reckon with um, nature itself. Indeed. With the forces of physics and orbital velocity. Indeed. Uh, and with, you know, sea cucumbers. <laughs> it's been said, actually, that uh, we know more about the moon than we do about the bottom of the ocean. It has been said. That passive voice is both so mythological and so evasive Stephen. once you commit who said it i can tell you who said it uh it's a, a little uh, group of people called them ah uh, the they the they the they and the them yeah mm -hmm. say no more and i mean it say yeah no yeah i might i might um but yeah man let's uh let's kind of just dive right in my name is Stephen jackson this is Brandon R. Reynolds, and this is Journos. Journos, in which in which I will be just speaking in overly declarative sentence mm -hmm. sentences. Yeah. Even that wasn't really one, though, huh? No, no. You're still you're just very conversational. Well, I feel like the you know passive voice is sort of like the moon, whereas the active oh. voice is the sun. You know, That's it's right. it's the yeah. it's the lunar part. Uh, it's the lunar voice. The lunar voice. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, with the traditional connotations of moon to woman and sun to man, mm -hmm. it sort of makes it seem like, well, women are passive voice oh. and sun is active voice. Hey. But when we all know that uh, cats are women and dogs are men. Hey. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating to just sit back here and see where your mind goes on the subject. <laughs> um, no. I Well, I, the moon is interesting because the moon and the ocean that so that thing about we know more about the bottom of the the top of the moon than the bottom of the ocean or whatever moon ocean super related that's right because of gravity because of gravity which is also the name of a movie that may come up in the course of this episode indeed right let's get into let's get into a little bit of news talk to me yeah let's start up high mhm mm uh this week on monday 
when stuff when stuff cosmic happens on Monday, it's always sort of a funny thing. But this Monday, why? Never... Because it's like part of the news. Know, it like yeah. knows it's part of the news cycle. Yeah, like you know, you kind of roll in after the weekend, and yeah. you're like, ugh, and Monday we got to like do the chit chat about yeah. what was on NBC and yeah. blah blah blah. Um, but in this case, it's like uh, Monday came along, and uh, the Russian space agency sent a rocket into space that blew up a satellite causing a chain reaction of debris 1500 plus pieces of debris moving at 17,500 miles an hour in an expanding field that was unfortunately hurtling in the direction of the International Space Station good gosh such that they had to tell the, the astronauts American and some Russian to get into the SpaceX Dragon escape pods yeah and just hang out in case. You know what? That's that, that sounds like a bad Monday. That's what I'm saying. That is yeah. hectic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's also like, well, that's something that's going on. You yeah. Know? Of, course, that... of course, for them, for the space station folks, they're like zapping through days every ninety minutes. Yeah. So it doesn't mean the same thing. But to us here on Earth, so they had like they experienced like three crappy Mondays. Oh yeah, more they're than just, that. Woo! Yeah, they're going for it. Yeah. So what um, was uh, I mean? Tell tell t- tell me details. So like, what was what was the name of the rocket? What was the name of the satellite? Who did it? Why did they do it? Okay, the name of the satellite was the Cosmos fourteen oh eight. Cosmos with a K mm-hmm. because it is Russian, um, and the space agency over there in Russia is Roscosmos. So there's a lot of satellites in space yeah. now, as you know. Many mm-hmm. of them old. Yeah, including this one, and so one of the challenges that your average tertiary uh, or terrestrial government, not tertiary, that's third. One of the challenges that your terrestrial government has is we've sent a bunch of crap up there and now it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So we got to get it out of space. Okay. So uh, the big players, the United States, Russia, China, India, have all been developing anti-satellite technology yep. to shoot down, ostensibly, to Ace- shoot down their own call satellite. A- called, called ASAT. That's right, ASAT, anti-satellite, presumably, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, to shoot down these old satellites of theirs. But really, wink, 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 it's also like, well, maybe we want to shoot down the communication satellites of other countries as well. Yeah. Thereby it's, the same, it's the same exact technology. That's right. Yeah. I mean, any t- it's same, yeah, it's like rockets <laughs> were designed to send uh, uh, you know, nuclear weapons around the world. But also, yeah. eh, bonus, we got to send people into space. Yeah, but then uh, conversely, you, know, you send those, all the stuff that gets invented in the space programs. Right. Like wasn't aluminum or like there's there's all these metals and things that mm-hmm. get invented in the process tang. of of tang, tang. that get invented in the process of sending people yeah. to space yeah. that then, you know, they, they come back down for these benign, benevolent uh, domestic mm-hmm. uses. Yeah. Marshmallows. Marshmallows. Uh, come on. Really? Uh, hamsters. Hamsters were developed. In OK, space. that is enough. So Ross Cosmos sent this thing up. It yeah. blew up. So now there's this field of debris that is expanding ever outward. Okay. And uh, NASA was angry about it. Everybody was angry about it because they had endangered these astronauts. And also, uh, now there's this this field of debris that, again, is zooming around the Earth uh-huh. and will be there for quite some time. And so now you get into some sort of orbital physics, which uh, basically some of the pieces will be in a lower orbit. And because there's they're lower in the or- lower orbit, is closer to the Earth. There's more atmosphere that creates more friction. So those are more likely to fall out uh, and burn up in orbit, you know, in weeks, months, 
or a few years. But some of the stuff in higher orbits will be up there longer. There's less friction. It could potentially be decades, hundreds, even thousands wow. of years. It's crazy. Floating around in space. It's crazy. Right, right. And so, that, I mean, like, so the, it can hit stuff. And if it hits, and, and, and it's like a tiny piece of space debris, it's going yeah. so fast. If it, like, collides with something, it does serious damage, right? Yeah, like a, fl- I mean, they, they have come to realize, like, a fleck of paint that's floating around up there, again, moving, you know, at 17,500 miles an hour, yeah. could punch a hole in a spaceship, and yeah. now you have a hole in a spaceship. Bigger pieces, like, you know, somebody lets a wrench go, and off it goes. Yikes. Stuff like that. Do they use a off. wrench, like a, like, a rent, yeah. like a monkey wrench in space, really? Well, it's called space wrench, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <Send> <laughs> it's crazy because you forget that all of this stuff is is out there right like currently as we are talking right now there's there's thousands and thousands of pieces of debris but also just so many satellites that get shot up into the air that are being used they're powering so much of what we use in day-to-day life like the extent to which satellite we rely on satellites to live the modern lives we do is unbelievable and the technology is so great that we don't have to think about it it has that sort of you know, it just works. Apple technology's magic. Sure. Where GPS. You just you pick up the phone and I and then you're that. I think about that. You you call somebody for those of us like me who still call people on the phone, or if you're texting, it it's instantaneous. But it's this crazy light be or whatever, like invisible beam that gets shot up into a satellite and then shot yeah. back down to somebody else, and it happens all instantaneously. And we're like, oh yeah, 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 that worked. Oh yeah, that's that's just. That's just the phone. Like, come on. That's just the phone. Yeah, that whole thing. And the idea that, um, like, GPS, all of that stuff runs off of satellites, which means you have to take into account things like the theory of relativity, because time moves at a different rate in space than it does down here. So all of the calculations have to account for the fact that, like, things are moving a little bit slower up there. Reality is moving slower up there. So that's how fast, like, the speed of electricity and light is. It's like, you know, people are using more and more multi-factor authentication to get into like sensitive computer programs or just their computers yep. and so what that consists of is you know you you log into an app or a program and then it sends an instantaneous text to your phone and then you pipe you 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 type in a code and then it like comes back and and it's like i push a button on a on the computer screen and then instantaneously it happens on my phone but it's like thousands of miles were just traversed uh, that the information just like shot that fast that far and that's how quick all of this how quickly all of this stuff is happening mind blown yeah someday i want to do a piece about do an episode about the undersea cables that connect the internet yeah these big pipes that are on the bottom of the ocean Insane. we're gonna go to the bottom of the ocean later on and people cut them we're, we're people, not gonna mess with them people cut yeah. them yeah Similarly, okay, so yeah, that's a form of informational type terrorism. So as you said, we rely on uh, satellites for not only all of our entertainment, but all of our communication. The economy is predicated on that. So you can see why governments would develop anti-satellite technology For because sure. if you're going to go to war with a country, the yeah. first thing you want to do yeah. is knock out their ability to do everything. That's crazy. How many eggs exist in that basket? Maybe it's 4,000 eggs of individual satellites in the basket of satellite technology. Sure, or 4,000 baskets with a varying varying number of eggs in each basket, depending on the functionality of the satellite. 
So there's a lot of satellites up there, and there's going to be more because SpaceX is going to launch their their batch of these little box satellites that are supposed to create internet that is global and instantaneous and for everybody except for China. Go to hell, China. Yeah. Um, so that's even more stuff that's going to be up there. And again, you know, and I've noticed this here. We live in Los Angeles. A town with a little bit of light pollution. Just a even bit. Even so. Even so. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like when I go out at night, walk the dogs, I swear I look up and it's like every second or third night and I will see a satellite. I know. By. How crazy is that when you see the satellite? It is so yeah. weird. I remember the yeah. first time I saw one, it was like it, I, it just blew my mind because it reminded yeah. me that, oh my gosh, it's not empty up there. Yeah. And you can see stuff and you're seeing... You know, it's like it's 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 behaving the same way that the moon does, mm-hmm. and that it's catching light from Earth or the sun or whatever, and it's reflecting yeah. it back. And here's this piece of machinery that's floating around. So, so if we can't if we see that one, how many do we not see? So there's all of this debris that occurs with these various impacts. There, and, and it's not. We should note that it's not just Russia that. Um, that that has done a similar operation maneuver move whatever we want to call it right other yeah. other countries have have done this for sure yeah uh china did in 2007 blew up one of its satellites created a bunch of debris mm-hmm. um india in 2019 did its own yep created 100 pieces hundreds of pieces of debris okay us did it Unclear about how much debris yeah. was created. Seeing a pattern. Seeing a little bit of a pattern. Yeah. yeah. So you know, and then there have been tests where they've sent, they've fired rockets that have missed. Yeah. And then that just there's no debris there. Yeah. But you know, there's there's not an ideal situation. I mean, they're they're developing technologies to deal with this problem that don't create debris. So mm-hmm. one is um, if you can get up there and and nudge the satellite into either a lower orbit where uh, the friction of the atmosphere pulls it down and it burns up, or they push it out into a further orbit beyond the kind of orbit of commercial traffic yeah. and space stations and stuff, which they call delightfully a graveyard orbit. Yeah. yeah. All of this is kind of like, what could go wrong? Um, and I guess people didn't really think about what could go wrong when you start blowing up all of these satellites and create a bunch of debris because something there is a consequence there right yeah one guy did think about it his name is donald kessler oh and he's a nasa scientist welcome back we're speaking with professor donald kessler he's the chairman of the american academy of astronautics professor isn't it weird that we sent a space probe to mars and we didn't even find anyone well not really um Natalie, (laughs) because we didn't get into the canals. The Martian canals are actually canyons, some of them over 100 miles deep. Martian civilization has clearly developed under the surface of the planet. Their science and technology must be absolutely mind-boggling. SJP. Yeah, no, that's 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 not it at all. That's the 1996 movie Mars Attacks. It's a heck, heck of a flick, though. Yeah, it is. That's uh, Sarah Jessica Parker as the reporter interviewing Pierce Brosnan, whose character is named Donald Kessler, uh, probably as a homage to the actual scientist. Uh, I don't know. But uh, no, he's Kessler didn't say anything about Martians. He was very focused on the stuff that's in our sort of more near Earth orbit and particularly the stuff we created. Uh, I think we have audio of him, the actual him somewhere. 
That is what uh, is worrying NASA today, and that because we've reached this point where uh, there's enough stuff in orbit that it will collide with one another, it will become the dominant source of debris in the future. And the only way you can reverse this process is to essentially bring down some of the larger stuff, the more massive stuff that's most likely to contribute debris. And that means uh, one study that, that has been done says if we retrieve about five objects per year, and they have to be a select number of five objects, the ones that are most likely to break up and cause debris, and we do that for the next hundred years, then we can stabilize the low Earth orbit environment. Unfortunately, we don't know how to do that. There's a lot of stuff in space, and you put more stuff up there, you increase the chances of impact. And that can potentially create a chain reaction in which that debris smashes into other objects, which creates more debris yep. and more debris. And so you have this chain reaction where now you potentially have created so much debris that it coats the Earth like uh, sprinkles. Wow. Like horrifying metal and plastic sprinkles on the cupcake that is Good God. the planet. That would be like if you're the alien species that showed up and you, you went across the galaxies and you made the wormhole and you ended up here and you're like, this is all of our technology says there's a beautiful blue planet. And then you show up. You're a fucking dumb. You're like, what the fuck? What the heck happened? Yeah. Guys, yeah. what happened? Yeah. What did you do? It's like a, yeah. it's like equivalent of like giving like a bunch of like seniors in college, like a nice house off campus. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What could what? go yeah. wrong? You're like, guys, there's a, there's a barbecue in the front yard. Yeah. This is a and and if the rules of space applied, it would be like, well, once you finish off this keg, just roll just it out, roll it to, out. The, to the edge of the backyard. What? But it, it just sort of continues yeah. to what? hang around. <laughs> Every 15 minutes, the uh, keg of Natty yeah. Light will come swinging like, around the bedroom window. Yeah. yeah so um, Donald Kessler proposed this idea in 1978, and it came to be known as uh, the Kessler Effect. Yeah. Or interestingly, Kessler syndrome, which uh -huh. I always equate with like a human or an animal disease. Yeah. But anyway, the idea here is there's so much crap in space that it precludes the possibility of ever putting anything into space, ever safely sending any more manned spacecraft into orbit or beyond it. Because now there's just like this minefield of stuff that you can't cross. So this is something that's very hotly debated. Is yeah. this really a thing or... Or is the decay rate of all of these orbits significant enough that, like, it'll all sort of work itself so out? So it's it'll theoretical. It's theoretical, not necessarily, like, it's not happening yet. At the time, there was not that much the people stuff. But, who but are, these tests are, are continuing to suggest, like, oh, this might really be a thing. Yeah. The, the, the people who are, like, um, yeah, saying things like, oh, well, it's just theory. It's, it'll work itself out. Sound a lot like the jackasses who are, like... You know, climate change isn't really real, and like these are just right. like the natural sort of vicissitudes Ebbs of, and flows, yeah, of yeah. the world. Yeah, it sounds a lot like people who are like, "Shut up, scientist! We got business to do. We gotta, we gotta make some money." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. There's there's so much enthusiasm for that that, um, and again, you have the pressures of potential commercial space exploration. Yeah. And the idea of internet and like this connectivity on the one hand, and then also the interest of world governments to protect that investment yeah. and also to potentially weaponize space against also the others. Yeah. Also, is is space not the wilderness of the world? I mean, like we talk about places like 
the California desert, which we'll probably get into later, or we talk about some of these final wild spaces. Um, and like, isn't the atmosphere and the space immediately surrounding the world kind of the final wilderness? I mean, like, so we're also just polluting this area, which is, and it's not a problem because it's totally out of sight, out of mind. Uh, and I guarantee you the Kessler effect will start being taken much more seriously if it starts preventing this nascent um, space exploration, space mining, space travel business. Yeah. If it gets so in the way of that. If it yeah. gets in the way of, the, of this business, right. then it's going to be, yeah. we need to get Kessler. And then Kessler will, you know. It'll be like the heist movie montage where he comes out of retirement for one last score. He's, he's gotta, doing, he's doing, he's doing chin-ups. Yeah, and you see all the tattoos of like satellites on. <laughs> he got a huge tattoo of a satellite on yeah. his back. He's just like Elon needs you. Yeah, we got to send Elon. these freaking ro- rockets into space. But uh, it's in, yeah, yeah. So uh, the space, it's interesting. I think we ought to start remi- considering space and the immediately surrounding space and atmosphere as something of a final wilderness and frontier as we begin to develop the technology to get there. Right. Like yeah. like same thing. If one, as soon as we can figure out how to get to the moon and have, you know, like a space like a like a little settlement on the moon or a settlement on Mars, like, you know, we got to start treating that like a wilderness. Ooh, this is interesting. I just figured I just thought about this. So I know that the big ticket item right now is to get humans to Mars. Right. Yeah. What the heck happened to the moon, man? Oh, it's still on the it's still on the table. But why? It seems like we should be sure. doing the moon first. Yeah, it's unimaginably well, closer. Yeah. Well, yes, and I think there is that plan, but also, and there has been um, some interesting literature written about this, particularly lately. There's been a flurry of stories about um, how these tech titans, these billionaires, have misread sci-fi of yore and have taken the wrong lessons from, for example. The metaverse, oh yeah, or um, or space exploration, or whatever, yeah, and, um, and you know, which is something that I had covered when I did these two pieces on the flying car, like the idea that the Jetsons was such a great example of how we needed to be, rather than a cautionary tale. And so these companies are like, we're going to do flying cars, and it's like, well, that's not the solution. Um, so two billionaires such as Elon, are looking at Mars like that's the place to go. And obviously, you could be spending billions of dollars to, for example, clean up the ocean, to solve problems here on Earth. It's not to say that that space exploration is not important, which it is. Um, But yeah, I think definitely why Mars? Because somebody wrote about it in a book 60 years ago. Oh, I think it's different. it's cool. I I think there's a different... Uh, reason why Mars, and I think it's because of uh, that they I be, they probably think that there are more minerals and there's probably more profits to be made from shit on Mars than there is on the Moon. No, possibly. I think there's a lot of minerals there, but there's also you have to keep in mind. Speaking of it being all wilderness, there is a legal framework which governs this, which is called the Outer Space Treaty. Oh, 1967, um, which is built on itself a framework that's sort of similar to the law of the sea, um, particularly the Antarctic Treaty. Anyway, which says that here is this wilderness that we must all as signatory countries 
agree to protect. That means certain things like you can't exploit it for commercial use. Whatever is discovered there is shareable among all the countries of the world. And then a bunch of stuff about not using nuclear weapons. So at least on paper, everybody continues to respect this. And that's how they get around, um, you know, blowing up satellites as an act of war. Because it's like, well, it's our satellite. We're just doing cleanup. Yeah. So it's not aggressive yet. It's like we're starting to do, we're trying to do the right thing. But I think all of that is going to really come into uh, sharper focus when, yeah. When governments get a little tetchy about it or when companies are like, we need to mine this asteroid. Yeah. It's it's, like, well, who does that belong to? Who does that belong to? And I right. think uh, it, it, it's a great uh, place to uh, depart from this idea of outer space. So, yeah, let's bring things back to planet Earth. Uh, and we want to fall out of our o orbit uh, towards the outer regions of the Earth's atmosphere, but uh, carefully because of all the debris that's been now deposited and swirling around our planet via the Kessler effect. Uh, we're going to uh, start picking up speed through the stratosphere and all of the other layers of the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, our, our ship is now glowing red as we as we hurtle through the air, uh, just about 1,100 miles off the coast of Mexico, uh, and we we hit the water with a surprising degree of grace, and then we sink. We continue to move deep, deep, deep into the ocean, where there's no longer light. And only the ocean floor. You wonder, at the bottom of the ocean, who does it belong to? Who governs who? it? Who, who indeed? Who owns it? Well, all of us. And uh, it's really less, it's not so much owned as um, it's uh, governed or, 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 or taken or under the watch of an autonomous international organization established in the 1982 United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, or UNCLUS, um, and the 1994 agreement relating to the implementation of Part 11 of the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. It is called the International Seabed Authority, or ISA. And uh, it's there are 168 members, including it, it's 167 member states and the European Union. Uh, the United States is not part of the ISA. Um, we can get to we that. We love to sort of we just love to sort of big time. Yeah, like, we'll be in the room, but we're not going to put it's a name not on the, anything. Exactly. We don't really need to get into it because, frankly, it's not that interesting. It's just another thing that like United States isn't doing for all the reasons why you think it wouldn't. And. No. Um, uh, but the ISA governs this, uh, what's called the area, capital A area, um, and it area. believes that, quote, its resources are the common heritage of mankind, and the area uh, covers around 54% of the total area of the world's oceans. If you that's could, the floor of the ocean. That's the floor of the ocean. If the you seabed. Could, the seabed. Um, and so the, the, those are the people. And it's this, ama it's, uh, it's this amazing... Um, I watched like the video on their on, on the ISA site, and it's like this amazing sort of success story of 168 um, entities working together to protect this what they believe to be the common heritage of humankind. Um, so that's all fine and good. However, and this so the idea is that the the sea, the international waters. It's open to everybody. It's, you can't really regulate it. There are, there are certain rules, but basically once you're out in open water, 
It belongs to everybody. And yes. this is a, kind of an extension of that. What's on the floor of the ocean. It's on the floor also, of the ocean. Also is the common heritage yeah, it, of Yeah, and basically it starts when it's out of outside of a national jur- jurisdiction. It's right. under the, 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 what, I don't even know, stewardship of the ISA. The and, ISA. And uh, so much like the outer space nobody cared about what was in earth's inner or outer orbits until there was money to be made in uh, uh, in satellite technology and then all of a sudden it ma- we have to start asking all these questions much like we're going to be asking all these questions when we get to the moon or we get to the mars as soon as we start developing technology that allows us to get down to these nether regions of earth um the uh, the, uh, the the question of making money comes into play and for the ISA, un, uh, believe it or not, one of their main legislative accomplishments to date has been uh, adopting uh, in the year 2000 uh, regulations that govern the exploration of four polymetallic nodules. Polymetallic nodules. Say it with me. Polymetallic nodules. I'm here for it. Yeah. And so. What is it? They're like these nodules that have varying amounts of different elements, such as manganese, cobalt, copper, nickel. Uh, they're every single time when you read about them, they're described as potato-sized lumps, uh, and they're scattered across the ocean floor, uh, mainly in the Central Pacific. Um, and so they are very concerned about like permitting people to gather these things um and the reason for that is these little potato sized nuggets i know i meant to say lump but i said nugget sure well uh i feel like nugget is a more valuable sounding word than lump you know gold nugget yeah uh cannabis yeah yeah um and then lump is like nothing good nothing it's it's the it's the cold sweat that yeah. breaks out when your doctor comes in telling you bad news. Yeah, or a lump of coal, lump of coal, lumpy potatoes. Yeah, which maybe is the connotation. A nugget, yeah. also, yeah, nugget. I think about like a popcorn chicken. I think of like a little fried juicy morsel. What's more valuable than that? Nothing. That's right. what. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so any any who they're these things are very valuable because they believe that they could be used to power the next generation of uh, electronic vehicle technology uh, particularly um, and so these people are now quite keen on getting down there and getting that stuff up Uh, and so I came across this so the idea is instead of mining nickel and cobalt and all of the stuff that goes into electric batteries yeah you could just go down to the bottom of the ocean and pick that scrape stuff up it up. So and yeah, avoid all the environmental damage. Yeah, it sure sounds like there's no environmental damage, but we'll get to that. But uh, I found this. I came across this story. No, well, so I, I'm kind of doing this backwards. I, I, I came across this story about these quote EV battery rocks on the ocean floor that uh, uh, NBC Seven of San Diego says could, according to their headline, could power a billion electric vehicles. A story right. by Joe Little. Uh, it was published on the eighth of November. Um, fools are trying to go down there and they're trying to get all of these gold, uh, not gold. Uh, well, you know, uh, polymetallic. Nodules. Nodules also not a great word. Not great. It's not great, and uh, they're going to a very specific area to do so, called the Clarion Clipperton Zone. And the ISA has actually granted sixteen different companies the right to go down there and start poking around. 
Okay. So you say that these governing bodies are there to protect these wilderness, but they're not there trying to turn the wilderness into like a galaxy size, the wilderness of space into a planet size national park. They're regulating it. There's still going to be mining and all of that stuff going on. But in order to go down there, you know, sort of contracts and permissions had to be granted by the ISA to get down there. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, people, they're they're trying to get down there. A company called the Metal Company. Uh, it is a company called. I think it's the Metals. The company. Metals Company. Yeah. Great. See, they don't employ people like us to name shit. They don't care. Yeah, but if you're but making if you're, money, you don't. If need your to whole be. industry is lumps and nodules, yeah. calling yourself the Metals Company is still just yeah. a huge step up. It's like, oh, we're fine. It's just such a. Great. It's a big flex because you're just like. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, they're like, we're making so much money that we don't care about copy or creativity or anything. Yeah. We we're the guys who go get the metals and sell them. Yeah, that's like us calling this podcast the Words Company. We're, the Words Company isn't a bad name for a DBA, actually. Yeah, that's but pretty good. that's pretty good. Um, so, why is this a problem, right? Well, for, so first of all, it's, it, on one hand, it's being lauded as the next stage of green technology. So you won't be surprised to hear that uh, the CEO of and chairman of the Vancouver-based The Metals Company, a guy named by the name of Gerard Barron, uh, was keen to lay down a serious soundbite in this uh, NBC San Diego Channel 7 article. Uh, he, he goes on, he says, everyone says the future is green, but actually a green future is metallic. Uh, and then he says, and then and Mother Nature was very kind to put a very high concentration of these rocks in one little area. And you said they weren't workshopping their marketing. <laughs> You're doing great. Come on. That's like, that's just like, what is, that's like such an insane extension of Manifest Destiny that like, yeah. that you're just like, it literally, he said Mother Nature. So Gaia, he, he didn't say like, you know, big Christian God. It's our, it's our God given mandate to, you know, you know, explore every inch of America. But this time he basically said Mother Earth is begging us. Please, please pick up this crap pick up off the floor. These yeah. these nodules, these polymetallic nodules. Um, so what could go wrong? These guys are out there trying to save the environment. I guess I would say, having read the story, that it seems like all positive. Like the the tone of the story here on NBC San Diego, yeah, seven um, is. The, it, there's this cool feeling of like the spirit of adventure. The ship is called the Maersk Launcher, mm -hmm. docked in San Diego Bay. It's going to go out there, and you know it, it's the exploration saga. It's going to go to the bottom of the ocean. It's yeah. going to pick up these rocks, and it's going to come back with these rocks and save the world. Yeah. Right? Oh, we've already heard the negatives of mining and the intense environmental damage that's done by mining these elements that we need for these EV batteries. So these guys are going to go down. At great personal risk, presumably. Pick up these rocks, come back, and, you know, it's like Fabergé eggs, except yeah. they make your car go. And that's kind of it for the story. Yeah. And I think a lot of media in general has the same kind of unquestioning embrace of the whole thing. They don't really know a lot about the technology, so they just sort of accept Barron's talking points and go, this could be a solution. Here's ABC10 also in San Diego. And what's funny is you can hear them give Baron a mouthpiece to plug all of the stuff, but there's never any questioning of whether any of this will really work, 
what the drawbacks are. It's just sort of, oh, this is great. And bonus, it's good for business in San Diego. Scientists use robotic vehicles to study the environmental impacts of picking up the nodules and the underwater species that live around them. So you don't have to drill to get to them. We don't have to blast like you do with land-based mining. Barron says 10 years into launching his company, they're quite literally only scratching the surface. But he's certain this will lead to a greener world. For San Diego and for the Californian business community, there's going to be tremendous economic opportunities that come as a result of this new industry. You got to dig a little deeper because uh, I found this other take on this um, from greenworld.org.uk. Um, uh, and this is they appear to be uh, connected to the Green Party uh, and in the, in the United Kingdom. This is just an article on behalf of the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition published Friday, October 22nd, 2021. Headline, UK must lead fight against deep sea mining. Hmm. Hmm. That doesn't sound so good. Yeah. That doesn't sound so... uh, That doesn't sound like it's a bunch of dolphins and rainbows. That doesn't sound like uh, everything's all good. And uh, honestly, I'm with these guys. I don't believe it is. Now, first of all, I know that um, all a lot of times... I was thinking about this in another kind of high... Oh, in the plastics episode when we were making these big points about plastics and how mm-hmm. evil they were, and I believe I put a hex on the plastic manufacturers. It's 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 um it's also naive for us to believe that um we could we like currently maybe a hundred years from now we could live in a world without plastic. Like it's it's sort of college sophomore smoking weed in my dorm room, like like saying that like well, plastics are terrible, right? Sure. Like like let's be real. Like it would be very like that maybe it's a goal and it's a hundred year goal or whatever it is to get away from plastics but i don't want to be some like naive hippie wannabe similarly i don't want to say that like the idea that we could potentially extract these metals from places with like good practices and power like electronic vehicles and things like that is a hundred percent bad um that's my sort of caveat to what i'm about to say uh because for the most part, I am, in fact, on board with what uh, greenworld.org has to say. Uh, and they point out a couple things. Uh, that the the bottom of the ocean uh, supports this crazy, unique uh, web of life, right? Um, there's a lot of stuff that we need down there beyond, like, minerals and things to power, you know, our energy sources and stuff. Uh, fun fact I learned from the article is that uh, apparently a key component of the COVID-19 test came from bacteria living around a hydrothermal vent. You're telling me that COVID was grown in a hydrothermal vent? I knew it. Okay. No. Okay. No. You're not telling me that. No, I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you that there's like so much, there's just, I think I like that because it's just indicative of, there's a lot of things down there that we can learn from that like also benefit humanity and we can't do one uh, at the, at the expense of another. Um, But they say that uh, strip mining these nodules, which I believe is like what really would occur, although the metals company probably, the metals company is kind of talking about it in the other article. Like they sort of go down there and delicately pluck these nodules and put them in a a magical basket and they bring them back up and then we power the cities of tomorrow. He said they literally just lie there like golf balls in a driving range. (laughs) 
Well, that's what Baron said. That's what Baron had to say about that. He yeah. Lo- yeah. So it's like you think you think about one of the the claw games, oh, yeah. right? Like they just lower a claw and they pick these things up and they drop them in. Yeah. So every now and again, you get like a, a weird like plush SpongeBob or something. Yeah. But in yeah. general, in general, it's it's totally fine. And you know, so but but the. The hippies are saying it's basically strip mining, um, and it could really also disturb a, a great deal of the planet's carbon stores in the seabed. It could totally set off this crazy chain reaction, and you can only imagine that there are a number of corporate interests uh, who are involved here uh, just just sort of champing at the bit to get down there and uh, start scooping these things up. Um one you may uh, be familiar with. You may have uh, heard about some of their work uh, with war. Hmm. Um, and their name is Lockheed Martin. Yeah, they're involved. Lockheed Martin, as it happens, is real keen on getting into the renewable energy industry. They want to corner the market on storage and kind of creating the electric grid of the future built on renewables. So... The nodules make a lot of sense for their future business plans, I think. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, and it's like, again, we don't want to just sit here and immediately throw shade, uh, even though it's quite easy to do on Lockheed Martin. I'm sure that, I mean, I, I don't want to speculate, but sure, Lockheed Martin, they're getting into the green grid and all of that. And, and it's interesting because the folks over at Green World aren't saying – Let's not harvest it. Let's not use any of these metals to power, you know, the next generation of a billion electronic vehicles or whatever that is. You know, they're not saying not to do that. What they do argue uh, is that we should be figuring out ways to recycle some of these metals that we've already extracted to do this and not just like go down to some of the last pristine uh, un- uh, 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 undisturbed places in the world and start mucking things up. But they make a pretty good argument that uh, other folks are saying, hey, we c- there there are ways that we can be getting these metals and we can be getting these materials to power electronic vehicles by recycling minerals that are already out there, right? Like, right. let's not go and disturb these pristine, untouched areas. Let's find ways to, you know, recycle these minerals to make these new alternative energy sources. Right. Yeah, I um, I think that's it is that that narrative we keep seeing. There's nothing there, so let's go there and find out the valuable stuff that's there. And then in the process, we stir up things, we disturb stuff that is there because we don't have the right kind of eyes to see. Like mm-hmm. you go to the bottom of the ocean, and you think, what can live down here? You know, where the pressure is so crushing that you'll be squashed instantaneously if you go down there. Like, it doesn't seem like a place that is synonymous with life. So we go, well, nothing's down there. The best we can do for ourselves, for our planet, and for our investors' bottom line is to find alternatives to mining these things. So here you have these nodules. And, yeah, and then in the process, you stir up... uh, Potentially release a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. Yeah. Potentially, which they point out would be like a bunch of ecosystems. If, if we like, if we like, release a bunch of carbon into the atmosphere it, in the name of creating green technology, then we're just like making the problem we're trying to fix worse. Absolutely, 
uh, as you know, I just finished a story for KCRW here in Los Angeles mm-hmm. about the plight of the desert tortoise in the Mojave Desert. Okay. And it is so funny when we started talking about these stories, which came after I finished that story, what kind of resonances showed up between the desert and the bottom of the ocean and space. And it seems like, again, the same narrative plays out over and over again. In the case of the desert, the focus of the story was ostensibly uh, the desert tortoise is becoming extinct. Why? Because we use the desert for all these different purposes. Most recently, we want to put these giant solar farms out in the Mojave because there's a lot of ideal sunlight and you can put these huge farms out there. But to do that, you have to essentially destroy the ecosystem. Yeah. Now, that's not the only thing, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because you can listen to the story if you want, Um, but you know, years of sheep grazing and off-road vehicle use and uh, just general use going back to the the stagecoach era have left this permanent damage on the desert ecosystem. Yeah. Um, But now you have this weird case where we want to do the right thing. We want to save the world. We want to reduce our use of fossil fuels. So let's put these solar panels out there. The only problem is that it potentially could destroy the ecosystem and drive these animals into extinction. Yeah, And they say in a similar way that um, a green world is is uh, arguing that we should uh, recycle uh, some of right. these minerals that are, have already been extracted, essentially, um, that the, the folks it, who are trying to protect the desert tortoises and other um, uh, people who are on the environmental side of this coin... Which is which is funny because it's like there are two sides of the environmental coin. One of the environmental people are like, let's build the solar you know, the arrays, right. and then the other environmental people are like, sure, solar is great, but like, we, do we have to do it in the place where yeah. the, the the turtles are going to die? They say, hey, there are tons of places where we could put solar arrays that are already for like, kind of ruined. For example, right. the tops of as as I am now cribbing your story to you, which is a whole new form of journalism but uh as my colleague brandon r reynolds said on the radio the other day uh you can use you can put solar arrays on the tops of uh, amazon filament centers or use uh areas that agriculture has already decimated called the brown lands brown lands it sounds as ugly as it is yeah so you could put why not if we've already there's this weird through line there this is just like hey we've already ruined this yeah let's just build on what we've already ruined yeah yeah Yeah. i mean exactly right yeah why you know you have this idea of pristine nature Mm -hmm. and that idea is almost i mean i think this is the thing that that bothers me a little bit and freaks me out is like the idea of leaving something untouched creates this itchy sense in us yeah as humans that goes obviously way way back like yeah we have to get in there and touch it we have to do something with it we have to make it work for us yeah we have to create the metaverse yeah, and the idea too that it's it's impossible to move in a in an in environmental space. It's impossible to move through nature for humans apparently as modern 21st century humans without leaving these marks that are that are indelible or at least will take hundreds or thousands of years to repair mm-hmm. or you know we end up creating some sort of technological disaster like the Kessler effect. Yeah. Like well now we just can't go into space. Yeah, or or we we release like all this freaking carbon from the bottom yeah. of the ocean that was just sitting there nicely protecting us. Yeah. And what's further, what's scarier than all of that is that so much of that is powered by good intention. You know, you, you think about 
tobacco companies of yore that concealed the fact that they were causing cancer for decades because of a cynical desire to maximize profits. And maybe there were people in the company that were thinking, well, we're going to figure out a way to solve this. We're going to create the healthy cigarette. And I think we think of so much corporate or governmental activity even now as being driven by this just desire for the bottom line. And it absolutely is true. Yeah. But what complicates it and makes it harder to figure out how to suss out is, for example, companies like the solar companies or, you know, the the metals company, <laughs> like, are powered by, there's a profit to be made there, but it's also in, in service of, at least ostensibly in service of creating a better world, a yeah. safer world, a more environmentally, uh, uh, you know, addressing the problems yeah. of climate change. But there's a there there's a certain thing with the cigarette companies, even though you know there's been movies and and research and books showing that they actually did know that it was super messed up when they were doing it. And they continued to, uh, sure. not unlike Facebook, who knew that all of this stuff was harmful to society and young people, right. and they still did it. Uh, so I think that the the ethics question comes in to play when you, when you wonder when, when you say, okay, well, what did you know, and you still did it, right? And so. Right. It's hard to have a like the metals company, and again, we who are we to know? They they probably have environmental scientists working on their staff that are trying to do the right thing, right? Like I, we we shouldn't assume that everybody everything is bad in that like sort of ultimate cynicism of like this uh, pseudo liberal mindset that we sort of both right. share. It's a matter of if those people from the metals company, you know, take into consideration what these people from the green world organization are saying and that they really do proceed it with like environmental best practices something that comes to mind is like the idea of sustainable fishing right like right. the we're overfishing the oceans and we're destroying biodiversity but a lot of like even david attenborough's people like that are saying Hey, we don't have to like stop eating fish. We just have to be stopping freaking jerks about it all the time. So there's, if the metals company does take those things into account, because it's 2021 and everything we know about the climate and the world is um, kind of coming to bear, then good on them. But right. I'm not. I, I I feel like I'm casting. I, I I'm fine casting a mini aspersion on them at the moment. The the, the larger point that I think is drums up has to do with um, this notion of these open spaces in these wildernesses are always are always wonderful and easy to protect and easy to be high minded about until there's a commercial interest there. And then it just sure. immediately gets complicated. And that is a constant that happens right. every single time. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Bottom of the ocean. If you're thinking about like like people who are creating the national park system in the United States, like they're like out there, you know, like like doing God's work and stuff. And they probably never thought that they would ha they would have to protect the bottom of the ocean. Right. But of course, going to go there and what's there. To <laughs> yeah. But as soon as we people figured out that there's stuff to get, then all of a sudden it's like a life or death situation to protect it. Right. Yeah. And, and two, the, the consequences seem like they are very slow to develop and then very fast. Yeah. In a paraphrase of what I think was Hemingway. It happened very slowly and then it happened very fast. Um, <laughs> that, and that's that's active voice. That's active. That oh, guy yeah. was, there was... There was nothing there, passive. No, yeah. Yeah. He was an active drinker. <laughs> he was an active woman. He was a very active writer. Um, he was so active, his cats had extra toes. Hey... 
yeah. Um, and that's why I think there's something kind of fascinating in this Kessler effect and in the way that space works, where stuff doesn't just go away and stop. You know, everything stays in motion. It's such a wonderful metaphor for anything we do. You know, you think, well, if we take this stuff off the bottom of the of off the bottom of the ocean, uh, it's fine. It's just been taken off the bottom of the ocean because you're not seeing the consequences in the same way. But if you apply the rules of space mm-hmm. to what's going on on Earth, then all of a sudden you get these <laughs> weird, like, you know, if you're in the desert uh, and you're driving along and you hit a tortoise, yeah. normally you kill the tortoise. Yeah. But what if... Not only you kill the tortoise, but it sends it hurtling around and around <laughs> and around. And now it's flying around the desert thousands for of decades. Mile, in thousands yeah. of miles an hour. Thousands of miles an yeah. hour. And so anybody who's out there driving or hiking uh, or growing cannabis illegally um, runs the risk of just being obliterated yeah. Yeah. by a the, tortoise the, the shell. The tortoise shell just shooting through the hoop tent like it's uh, it's Mario yeah. Brothers 2. Yeah. Yeah. We can call that the Super Mario syndrome Indeed. or the Super Mario Ooh, effect. I like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, yeah, no, I think that is a that's exactly what it is. We do so much because we are never often never needed we, we we do so much because we often don't have to face those consequences right you can't see them we don't have the right kind of eyes for them. we don't right so, like um one of these researchers in the desert who's been studying this for 50 years is so fascinating to me because she can go out into the desert and see the remains of these stagecoach tracks uh, because she can see the invasive species that came up in oh, the wake of it as yeah. compared to the normal species. And so, like, it takes a lifetime to develop that kind of vision, you know, just naturally studying this stuff. So yeah. if there was a way for us to fast track and understand in some sort of deeper way what these impacts are, what they're going to be. And, you know, partly it's the limitation of we don't know what's going to happen in space because we haven't been there yet. We yeah. don't, you know. But, like, trying to anticipate that I think is the real challenge and what makes what makes it hard to uh, assign heroes and villains so much as we're all actors and reactors and how do we try and anticipate as much as possible what the long-term effects of these things are it's a uh, it's a tall order brandon i do my best yeah and, and in the meantime you know keep your eyes on the sky yeah well uh, definitely keep your eyes on the sky because there might be a tortoise shell hurtling through it right right f- right for your Toyota Prius C as you drive through the desert. Thinking you were doing the right thing. Thinking you were doing the right thing with that hybrid. That's right. Collateral damage. Stay safe out there, folks. This is Brandon R. Reynolds. My name is Steven Jackson. This is Jernos. Jernos is produced by Heather Eagle Ears Wilson. We'll see you next time.